You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We are doing a sermon series called Christmas at the Movies, where we are taking a look at classic Christmas movies to help us better understand the themes of the Advent candles. As always, if you have any questions, feel free to text. That's the phone number. It's on the bottom of each screen. It's just a normal text. If you, have the, if you do that, um, those questions or answers to questions I may pose should come through. Try to make this as much of a dialogue as possible rather than just me monologuing for like 60, 70 minutes here. No, 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 no. It's not that long. If you're new with us, it's not that long. Um, but yeah, like I said, we're using classic Christmas movies to illustrate the biblical truths around the theme of each one of these candles. And as we've been talking about all morning through song, through psalms, through readings, this week's theme is joy. Joy. God desires for us to have a life of joy, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And the movie we're going to use to illustrate that is a classic one. It is, for me, a Christmas story. Now, let me say, I've mostly seen this on TBS. You know, do you remember in the early 2000s when they would just play it for 24 hours straight for like a month? As I was watching it last night, the TV version is a little bit different than the regular version. There's more language. So I'm not encouraging you to watch this movie, but I've seen it a bunch on TV, and it felt a little more wholesome on the old TBS, the Turner Broadcast Station. If you don't know the story, it's a story about Ralphie, and that's his parents, friends. It's Christmas time. It's a Christmas story, and it's a bunch of pictures, vignettes, little sections about his life as a little boy. The movie was made in 1983, but it's about a little boy growing up in the year 1940, and he's telling a story about his uh, most anxiety-ridden but also favorite Christmas ever. Really boiled down to it, the whole movie is that he wants a BB gun. It's all he wants in the whole world, a Red Ryder bolt action. I don't know what it is. He's got a whole line that he says multiple times, 200 shot BB gun. This is the movie. He, how is he going to get his BB gun? First person that he tells, and he's so sad that he blurted it out because he knew this person would not get it for him as moms. He says, moms just don't get the desire to have a BB gun. Next thing he does is he writes a paper about it in class for his teacher. She says the same thing, probably not. Third person he asks for this BB gun is mall Santa Claus. And all three of them say the same thing. Shoot your eye out. Just so you are in on the joke, here is a clip of them all saying that after he asked all three of them, little Ralphie. No, shoot your eye out. Oh, no. You'll shoot your eye out? You'll shoot your eye out. You'll That's his teacher. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> 
He asks the three most important people in his life, certainly around Christmas time, for the thing that he desires most, and they all say no. Christmas morning comes, and they do their Christmas thing, and they open all their gifts, and he doesn't get it, and he's sad about it. His parents are sitting around going, how was it? We'll see this clip here in a minute. And he said it was good. He said, did you get everything you wanted? Not really, but it was good. It was good. And his dad says, oh, wait, there's a, a hidden gift over behind the desk. They let this kid sweat it out for hours, which is like, <laughs> I don't know how the parents had the patience. They were built different in the 40s, I think. Um, I would have spoiled that surprise so quick. But they let the whole day come to a final resting moment. They're like, oh, there's an extra one. It's the BB gun, if you don't know. Immediately, he takes it outside, and he basically shoots his eye out. <laughs> he knocks his glasses off. You can see a little mark on his cheek right here. Looking for his glasses, he steps on his glasses, which was a big deal. He comes inside, leaves the door open. Neighborhood dogs come in and eat their Christmas turkey. They go to Chinese food. Listen, don't steal my thunder for that joke later. Goes to sleep holding his new BB gun and said it was the best present he ever got even including up until that day, the end. That's the story if you haven't seen it. Ralphie wants a BB gun. Everyone says no. His dad says yes. The end. And what we're trying to talk about today with this theme is that God desires for us a life of joy. We're going to use that movie to illustrate the joy concepts from Scripture. Because what we know, at least starting in the Old Testament, about joy is Nehemiah tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength, and our spiritual enemy wants us weak, wants to rob us of that joy. And the Bible has a lot to say about joy and how God desires it for you, and what that looks like and how we access that. We'll use this movie to illustrate it. But what I want you to head into this sermon anticipating is that God desires for you a life of joy. As always, I preach three points. Head, heart, hands, something for us to know, feel, do that way we have information that turns into transformation that turns into action so that we have a holistic faith that moves to us through us and back out into the world and this is the questions i ask any text i read what does god want us to know about this bible passage what does god want us to feel or experience within it what are we supposed to do with it and so for me the no point when it comes to the theme of joy is this joy is a focus before it's a feeling that we in our modern world think that it's a feeling first. And scripture wants us to say that to really have deep, true joy, it's about focus. It's about who rather than where or what we're putting our hope into. Some scripture for us. This is First Peter. I love this passage. Although you've never seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you trust in him and so you rejoice with a glorious joy that is too much for words. That is a lot of joy. Rejoice with a glorious joy that is too much for words because we know and love Jesus. Jesus is our joy. This is the Christian teaching on joy. It's a focus before it's a feeling where we are putting our hope for joy matters when it comes to our discipleship. 
where we are putting our attention, where we are putting our focus. That's how we access deep, abiding, lasting joy. Here's a clip, the opening clip, precisely, where we see the word joy. That's why it's here. But also when it comes to the topic of focus, take a look at Ralphie's obsessive focus. Higby's corner window was traditionally a high water mark of the pre-Christmas season. First-nighters packed earmuff to earmuff, jostled in wonderment before a golden, tinkling display of mechanized, electronic joy. of Christmas gifts, the Red Rider 200-shot range model air rifle. And there he is, Red Rider himself. In his hand was the knurled stock of as coolly deadly-looking a piece of weaponry as ever I had laid eyes on. I have been scheming to get my mitts on one of these fearsome blue steel beauties. My fevered brain seethed with the effort of trying to come up with the infinitely subtle devices necessary to implant the Red Rider range model air rifle indelibly into my parents' subconscious. Yeah. Some quotes, I, I mean, he focused on it, right? I ever laid my sights on. He's trying to get his parents to think about it. I have a bunch of quotes. But it's about his focus. Even though he put it in the wrong place, the mechanized joy, right? The electronic mechanized joy. He gives us a good example of what it means to have joy as a focus first before a feeling, right? It's a golden twinkling display of mechanized electronic joy. There it is, the holy grail of Christmas gifts. And then he says his whole scheme and the whole movie is he's trying to implant that gift indelibly into my parents' subconscious. He's trying to make it their focus too. But you got to do that subtle with parents because joy is a focus. Even though he puts it in the wrong thing, he's a good example of about, about joy being focused first rather than a feeling. You don't get joy by looking in the wrong places though, Scripture tells us. You don't even get joy by looking for joy. But that's one great way about missing joy. If you want to miss joy, go out looking for joy. You'll be on a constant search for the rest of your life looking for it. Scripture encourages us to make Jesus our joy. That is our focus. Joy comes from that. This isn't a don't have joy in other things sermon. I'm not that kind of pastor where I'm like, it's only Jesus. Lots of things can spark joy in us. But the scriptural teaching is that our deepest, most lasting joy comes from the source of joy itself. God wants us to have joy, but it's about focus first rather than searching out that feeling. That real, true, deep joy is a focused first enterprise. What then do we feel as we're talking about this giant feeling of a topic? What does God want us to feel when it comes to joy experience? 
The Bible over and over again says, yes, God wants you to have joy, but not just any kind of joy. Christian joy is complete joy. This is what the scriptures tell us over and over again, especially in John and John's world and writing. Jesus says, I have said these things to you so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. Jesus says again in the next chapter, so that your joy will be complete. Jesus says again in the next chapter, John 17, so that they can share completely in my joy. And then you go over to 1 John, which is near the end of the scriptures, and it says, and we are writing this that our joy may be complete. Not only does God want you to experience joy in this life, but he wants you to experience the completeness of joy. Completeness of joy. If you can't see it, complete every one of those. I underline them. It's hard to see now. Uh, if you don't know, uh, it's the Greek word plerao. It says, you say it like this, if you wanted to know. Now you know. You got some fancy seminary words for you. But if you wanted to transliterate it, it looks like this. It looks like pleru, but it's not. The O's have different sounds because it's funny like that. And what this word means is fulfill, which is really... In, in the history of language is really a Christian concept that not only is it going to be full, uh, not only are we going to fill this, but we're going to fill it to full. Our word fulfill comes from this word here, plerao. God wants your joy filled full to overflowing. This is the kind of joy that God wants you to experience. Not just full, Fulfilled to overflowing. Not just some joy, complete joy. That's the experience God has for us. I'm going to use a clip about him opening his BB gun. Obviously, it's not a lasting joy. But you get the sense of completeness as this movie comes to its climax. Take a look at Ralphie having some sadness and seeing that turn to joy, and especially the dad. It's always good to see dads laugh. Here we go. Did you have a nice Christmas? Yeah, pretty nice. Yeah, did you get everything you wanted? Mm, almost. <laughs> almost, huh? Well, that's, that's, that's life. Well, it's always next Christmas. Yep. Hey, that's funny. What's that over there behind the desk? Where? Oh, behind the desk against the wall over there. Why don't you go check it out? Come on. What have we put over there, honey? Uh, I, 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 Santa Claus probably brought it.
shoots his eye out immediately. <laughs> Is that dad supposed to be my age? Do I, do I look the same age as that guy? I feel younger than he looks. Things were different then, I think. I think why I used this clip is because it starts off with like, did you get everything you wanted? Not really, right? Almost, huh? Well, that's life, right? And there is a lesson to be learned there about, about you know, what life's going to be like. But God has an expectation for you that you will get the, jo- the joy that you desire and not just some of it. God desires for you complete joy. But some of us walk around with this attitude about the joy of Jesus in our life. Well, I got some, but that's life. Maybe not all. God has an expectation that it will come to fulfillment Filling to overflowing. Of course, junk doesn't bring lasting joy. Jesus brings complete joy. But anyone who tells you, well, that's life when it comes to joy, isn't speaking from God's truth, from God's word. God wants complete joy from you. Again, as we all know, joy is not the absence of sadness or difficulties. Joy is different than happiness. It's deeper. It's more long-lasting. It it, it covers our whole life. Um, So there will be sadness and difficulties. But God, in the midst of that, desires a completeness, a fulfillment of joy for you in your life. Not just to experience some joy, but full joy. A glorious joy that is too much for words is what God's word says for you. So that's what God wants you to experience when it comes to this theme. A completeness, a fulfillment, a full joy. And if you're not experiencing it, this is something for you to be in prayer about during this season as we amplify this week of joy. What do we do? What's the action associated with joy in scripture. For me, this is what hit me this week. It's about expectation. Comes from that last point. Expect joy at least as much as you do a pain. Expect joy to be as unavoidable as we do pain in our life. We prepare for pain. We worry about pain. We try to prevent pain. A lot of our life is around trying to avoid and prevent pain And Bible says, we want you to expect joy as much as you're doing that with pain and suffering in your life. We know that in life, pain and suffering is inevitable. It's going to happen. Even the holiest followers of Jesus experience deep levels of suffering. It's inevitable. But in Christ, joy is also inevitable, unavoidable. One passage out of many that I could show you is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. That if you are in Christ... If you are walking by the Spirit of Christ, these are the things that are going to show up in your life. A great metric, right? It's a, it's a barometer. It's a, it's a way of measuring your relationship with Jesus. And number two is joy. If you are, I think I said this. I was getting ready to say something I already wrote. When you plant your life in the soil of Christ, the fruit will always come up joy, love, joy, peace, and so on. Expect joy at least as much as you expect pain and suffering in your life. Marcus Bachmuel, a scholar, wrote one of my favorite 
commentaries on the book of Philippians, which is a book all about joy. He says in the midst of that, joy is not an optional benefit of the Christian life. It is something that you can count on and plan for when walking in Christ. Or if you want somebody else to tell you this, I got a picture of the Pope giving a thumbs up. This makes me laugh. This brings joy to my face. Because I think I'm kind of like this, a little bit silly, you know. But if the Pope can be silly, that's got to be, he's just like, hey, good job. Joy is the air Christians breathe. Plan on encountering joy. At least as much as you plan on encountering pain, but maybe even more so. And I say that because a lot of us, when it comes to joy, we experience something known as foreboding joy. That sometimes joy is just a little too getting our hopes up, makes us nervous. And so we sometimes tamper down the joy in our life because we don't want to get caught off guard. Here's a clip exactly of that. It's mostly about a father's love of turkey and how the turkey gets ruined. But there's a line in there about the zenith of joy. Take a listen. Now it is well known throughout the Midwest that the old man is a turkey junkie. (laughs) A bona fide golly turkakanas freak. A few days before Christmas, his eyes would begin to gleam with a wild and ravenous light. still hung heavy in the house, but it was gone, all gone. No turkey, no turkey sandwiches, no turkey salad, no turkey gravy, turkey hash, turkey a la king, or gallons of turkey soup, gone, all gone. <laughs> all right, everybody upstairs, get dressed. We are going out to eat. My brother Chad spoke truth earlier about how awful turkey is. That is an upgrade. I think I found that in the Bible somewhere. They're like, turkey's gross. It's somewhere in there. You, you look for it. They were blessed by those dogs is all I'm saying. Also, why did she have her turkey? Is that how you cook turkey? You pull it out every hour, leave it just rest, and then you cook it again for now? I've never heard of such a thing. Her turkey just sitting on the table all day. I don't understand. But I use that quote, I use that clip because when joy is at its zenith, right? When all is right with the world, the most unspeakable disasters descend upon us. A lot of us feel this way. A lot of us feel this way. In fact, some of the research suggests maybe about 90% of us have this thing called foreboding joy. I first heard the phrase in Brene Brown. She has a book called Dare to Lead. 
and I pulled out the entire chapter to read to you, but I'm not going to try to read it to you. But here's what that looks like. But I think some of it's so good. She's like, when I get together with businesses, I always ask people, right, when something great happens in your life, how many of you start to celebrate? But only a few minutes later, you find yourself thinking, don't get too happy. You're just inviting disaster. And she says, arms fly up. She said, it could be anything, right? You got promoted. You got engaged. You're getting married. Something, you're going to become a parent. Something wonderful happens. And for a brief second, you let joy wash over you. And then five seconds later, the excitement is gone. She says, how many of you parents stand over your children as they sleep, which is when they are the best? And you think these kids are incredible and then immediately have some imaginative thing where disaster befalls on them. And she says, that's where she says, about 90% of people do that. This is where I'm going to read more so. Why do we insist on dress rehearsing tragedy in moments of deep joy? Because joy is the most vulnerable emotion we feel. And that's saying something given that I study fear and shame. When we feel joy, it is a place of incredible vulnerability. It, it's beauty and fragility and deep gratitude and impermanence all wrapped up in one experience. When we can't tolerate that level of vulnerability, joy actually becomes foreboding and we immediately move to self-protection. It's as if we grab vulnerability by the shoulders and say, you will not catch me off guard. You will not sucker punch me with pain. I will be prepared and ready for you. So when something joyful happens, we start planning on being hurt. We start planning to deal with the fear, disappointment. Is this helpful? Of course not. Scripture's encouragement to us is that we start planning on joy as at least unavoidable as we do pain in our life. Vulnerability of joy scares us. And often we are our own worst enemies when it comes to Jesus' joy in our life. What is the encouragement? What are we supposed to do then with joy? Expect joy more deeply than you do pain. Because if you are planted in the soil of Christ, joy is a fruit that will grow from that. And God wants you to plan on the complete joy that he has planned out for you in your life. That's what we should do. Plan on it. Questions, comments, criticisms, concerns? I got one text. If you have any, let me know. Are there any practices to help combat the foreboding joy? What are, oh, what are some practices to help combat foreboding joy? Great question. Uh, if you have any, feel free to send them. I think the first practice is just recognition that knowing that this is a very human thing that all of us do. If, it, if it's normalized, then we will be able to see it. And so information, that's why we do head, heart, hands. The head part of a practice is knowing that you need these practices to help prevent foreboding joy. So know that that's going to happen, that joy is vulnerable and you are going to potentially uh, try to catastrophize in the moments of deep joy. And so that's great. There's a lot of other things that we can do, especially from a Christian perspective, as Jesus tells us things like to die to ourself, or as if we put our hope, which is the weak one that we talk about, in Jesus' ultimate victory and return, uh, that can help us minimize catastrophizing other things in our life. When we know who wins, when we know who's victorious and triumphant, and we put our hope there, I think that is a good practice 
to help us avoid catastrophizing smaller things. Those would be the two I have. Know that you're going to do it. Be prepared for yourself to do it. And uh, keep a bigger picture. Sometimes when we get too small of a picture of life, it can be easy to get stuck there and plan for disasters with that. But if we can keep a big picture of the overarching goal of God's victory, that should help. With no other questions, here's my conclusion, and we'll head into a time of communion. As we've said today, God desires joy for you. Deep joy. And I say that, what I'm worried about when I say that is that if you're not experiencing joy, that you're going to feel guilt or shame about that, and I'm not doing that. I'm not saying this is your fault if you don't feel joy. I'm just trying to help us reframe joy in our life from a, from a scriptural perspective that this is something that we should anticipate, that we should expect, and that if we're not having joy, that that's something that we can take to the Lord to in prayer as something that we can express a desire for and lay that at the feet of Jesus and say, I do want this joy that you've promised. Help me to experience it. I don't want you to feel guilt or shame around not experiencing it. But God desires that for you. And here's what I want you to know, feel, and do around that. That joy is a focus first. That you are going to access the joy of Jesus by keeping your eyes on Jesus primarily. That it's not just joy in general, but it is a completeness, a fullness of joy. Too glorious for words. And God wants us to anticipate and expect joy. At least as much as we do pain and suffering, but I would say more so. I would say it's joy is more of a guarantee for those of us who are planted in the soil of Christ. And with that, would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that you bring this theme up every year in your church calendar so that we can talk about it in a way that reminds us of the promises that you have for us around joy. Help us to hold on to that promise. Help us to anticipate the fulfillment of your promises, that you are faithful and good, and your desire for us to have joy means that we can have joy here and now in you. Our hearts long for it. One of the reasons we're all here, Lord, is because we desire you and your joy And some of us might be heartbroken about the lack of joy in our life. Would you help us? Would you meet us there in that valley of lack of joy? Give us hope again that you would be faithful to your promise to bring it to us. Convict us if we are putting our hope for joy in the wrong places. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you. Ultimately, Lord, we know that you are the source of all good things and the giver of all good gifts. May we encourage one another, Lord, on our journey to joy in you. And we would give you thanks and praise for your goodness and saying these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Table Church, will you help me finish that prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer? Saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom.